Okay, uh, go ahead and turn this morning, if you would, to Ecclesiastes 3.14, where we began looking last week, and but while you're turning, once you find that, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and just kind of put something, mark your spot there in 1 Corinthians, because we're going to go, that's going to be the next verse we look at. Let's uh, go back to Ecclesiastes 3, because I want to uh, go ahead and read the verse that we began looking at last week. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm uh, going to be reading verse 14. Now last week we went ahead and read from verse 1 down through... Uh, down through uh, verse 14, but today we'll just, uh, for the sake of time, we'll just uh, read verse 14 to remind us of what we were looking at. The Bible says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. Father, Lord, we come now and we ask that you be with us today that you might speak to our hearts and to our minds, that you might send the Spirit of Christ to uh, teach us. Lord, we pray that you would uh, have already begun to prepare our heart uh, to come and exalt you and worship. Lord, we pray that you would just guide us and direct us in this worship. Uh, we ask, Lord, that Christ would be exalted and glorified in the things that is said. Lord, we know that everything that is done here today without your help uh, would be in vain. So, Lord, we come once again exalting our Savior and the salvation that he has brought to us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, last week we began to look at uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 3.14. Specifically, we were looking at the works of God. And as we read verses 1 down through 14... We've seen that in the works of God, that God has uh, put a time and a season for everything. That God has declared all things, has declared everything that would ever happen. Uh, that uh, all things are have been predestinated by God. All things have been ordained of Him and are being controlled by Him. So we see that God in His works, not only did He decree it, foresee it, foreknow it, uh, he foreknows it because he decreed it, but God's foreknowledge, God's predestinating it, God's uh, before the foundation of the world, purposing everything that would ever happen. Um, but not only did he do that, but then in time, as he created all things, he is now, in the lifespan of this creation, he is bringing all of that purpose to its fulfillment, he's bringing everything that he has decreed, that he has willed, that he has purposed, that he intends to be done. Everything is happening exactly the way that he is. And if you remember last week, I mentioned that's really the difference between what we believe and what others that uh, uh, that falsely call us fatalists. That what the difference between predestination and fatalism is, is fatalism is as things just end up by fate, by chance, by random happenings, by 
the chaotic workings of men with all their wills and choices being made, this is the eventual end that happens where God has predestinated everything in a specific way, in a specific order, and everything is happening exactly, not one little deviation from everything that God has purposed so that the end result is exactly as God had purposed it from the beginning. And as we know, the scripture says that known unto God are all his works, the end from the beginning. So God's purpose didn't get to its, won't get to its final end and everything end up exactly the way it ends up by random chance. It doesn't happen by fate. It doesn't happen even by God giving men free will and just as they make their free wills, whenever they choose something against God's will, God turns that backwards and turns it into good. No, he actually ordains the bad things that are against his will or sin. He predestines sin in his purpose and he uses that sin of man to accomplish his purpose. And we've talked about before, one of the biggest examples of that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The purpose of God is to display the glory of God in the death of Christ in the redemption of his people. Christ dying on that cross, his life of obedience to the law, his death on that cross, his resurrection, every bit of that was by the hands of wicked men. An actual wicked, evil sin accomplished that task that God had purposed from the foundation of the world because Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. And that was manifested in this time through the hands of evil men and God had purposed every action that took place in that. But the purpose of that evil was for the glorification of God, was for the exaltation of Christ and for the salvation of his people. So what men thought for evil, God meant for good. And so God means evil to take place. God means sin to take place for his good, even though he hates sin, even though he hates evil, even though he has, uh, will judge all the wicked accordingly for that evil, he still hates it, he still does like that, but he does not become a sinner or his holiness does not become compromised because he has predestinated that in his purpose to accomplish all that he is doing. He has created and made the wicked for the day of evil, for the day of, of, of all their wrongdoings. He has created them for that purpose. That's why he created them. And so, um, so we see that everything, even the sin, even the evil of the wickedness, all that we see today, this is all part of the purpose of God. Nothing's going outside the purpose of God. And so we see that the uh, the works of God here that we've seen in verses 1 down through verse 13 uh, are all in the time and the season that God has planned. Uh, we had a dear friend pass away this week. Doors passed away, uh, but she didn't pass away at the wrong time. She didn't pass away too soon or too late. She didn't pass away by some freak chance or freak thing. Everything was purposed by God, there is a time to live, there is a time to die. It is appointed unto man his time to die. 
Every man has, and woman, child, kid, baby, infant, everybody has their appointed time of death, and God has a purpose in all of that. And so we've seen that, uh, and so we talked last week about, um, especially verse 14, how nothing can be taken from it, nothing can be uh, put to it, that God's purpose, nobody can change that. Nobody can put anything to it. Nobody can take away from it. God's purpose is set. It will not change. God cannot change. If God makes out a purpose and he says, this is what I'm going to do, God, nobody can change his mind. Nobody can change that. Now, a lot of people try to say, you know, well, yeah, God's mind did change. Look about Nineveh, you know. He said he's going to destroy Nineveh, but if Jonah will go and preach to them, if they turn their hearts, then he won't do that. Well, he changed his mind. He was going to destroy Nineveh, but whenever they believed and changed, God didn't change his mind. What did he say? Go and preach to the people of Nineveh, and if they repent, I will not destroy them. Well, where does repentance come from? God grants repentance. And so God didn't do anything outside of his purpose. He said, I'm going to destroy them if they don't repent. But they repented, so he didn't destroy them. He did exactly what he said. I'm not going to destroy them if they repent. And he didn't destroy them when they didn't when they repented. Okay? So, now they, he did destroy them later on down the line, but he didn't destroy them at that point in time. He told Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah said no, and so he decided to go to Tarshish. And so he hopped a boat to go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. Did somebody change and take away from God's plan? God planned for Noah to go to, or not Noah, to, for Jonah to go to Nineveh. But he went, started headed on a ship. Nope. Where did Jonah end up? He ended up on the shores of Nineveh, puked up by a big fish. Because God's purpose is going to stand. Nobody's going to put to it. Nobody's going to take it away. Jonah thought, hey, I'm going to go this way. Man deviseth his ways. Devises his plan, but it's God who directs his steps. Jonah said, Jonah said, hey, I'm going to go this way. God says, okay, you think you're going to go that way, but I'm directing your steps. You're going to end up right over there where I told you to go. And there where he was. Jonah didn't want to preach to him. He didn't think they deserved God's grace. But what he ended up doing, he preached to him anyway. And he preached to him not wanting to preach to him. And then he even got mad whenever God did what he said he would do. I'm not going to destroy them if they repent. And they repented. And Jonah got mad because God didn't kill them. So God's purpose is always going to take place no matter what men think they're going to do. And so nothing can be taken from them. So we've seen that God's eternal purpose, nothing can be put to it, nothing can be taken away. But we also, as we ended last week's message, we began to look at specifically in the realm of salvation. That what God has purposed in the salvation of his people, which he purposed before the foundation of the world. The Bible says the works were done from the foundation of the world. But in 2 Timothy, we read that not only were we saved and called before the foundation of the world, those works were finished before the foundation of the world and Christ being slain from the foundation of the world. We learn that they were manifested by the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and by that perfect obedience, by that perfect sacrifice, by his death, his resurrection, that he saved based on those works that God saved his people. It's an objective thing. I posted on Facebook this morning. Salvation is not subjective. When we say that salvation is subjective, that means that 
salvation is possible, but these things have to take place in, for salvation to happen. If this doesn't happen, then salvation cannot happen. But we say, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that salvation is objective, meaning that the actual work of salvation happens completely outside of anything subjective. So no, no events, no thoughts, no works, no wills, no choices, no actions, no, no laws, no nothing can stop the work of salvation because the work of salvation was not only accomplished, but was applied completely and totally outside of any action of anybody except for the one who actually did the work. And the one who did the work was Christ. It wasn't us that did the work. It wasn't the church that did the work. It wasn't some organization that did the work. No missionary board did the work. The work of salvation is not being carried out today. We keep hearing this on TV and radio and from all the churches that surround us and everything. We hear that we are in the saving business. We are out there to save souls. You know, I used to sing in the Southern Gospel Group and we used to travel all over the place and we were out there to win souls for Jesus. We, we looked at ourselves as missionaries going out and, and we were going to save souls through the singing of the Gospel and everything. <laughs> salvation is not taking place as far as the legal aspect of salvation, the justification, the sanctification before God. That is a done deal. That is already wrapped up from the foundation of the world, brethren. It is not something that is ongoing. Christ has saved His people from their sin, and they are truly saved, whether it be from before the cross, or whether it be until He comes again. Everybody in between has already been the recipients of that grace that was given apart from anything they ever knew, everything that they ever did. Now, let's, let's, let me break that down and give us a little contradiction. Sorry, I've got a whisker that keeps getting in my mouth and driving me nuts. Um, there are people that are yet to be born. I don't know when Christ will return and the end of everything will be. Okay, um, But we know that if Christ does tarry and not come, that there are going to be people that are going to be born. Right? There are going to be people that are going to, going to grow up and grow old. And during that time period, at some point, they may come to up here and understand and learn and begin to believe the gospel. And whatever date that is, let's just say 2025. Okay, that's only a couple years away. So let's just say 2025. Somebody who has never heard about Jesus, ever done anything, they, at, at this point, is living. But they've never heard the gospel. But they were are one of Christ's chosen elect from the foundation of the world. Christ died for them when he died on the cross. But they've never heard the gospel being preached. They've never heard the gospel come to their mind, come to their heart by the Holy Ghost teaching and teach them that their salvation was by what Christ did on that cross. They've never heard that. They've never experienced it. Are they still saved? Or are they yet to be saved? Well, in the legal aspect of things, they are saved already. 
I was saved before I was ever born. All the people of God are saved before they were ever born, before they ever heard the gospel, before they ever, ever received the gospel to themselves, believed the gospel, before they ever was baptized, before they was ever brought into the church. They were already saved. Nothing changed that. The preaching of the gospel to them didn't make them saved. They didn't get born again because they heard the gospel. They were already saved because of the work of Jesus Christ. Way back. Before it ever happened here. Before you ever heard it. Before you ever knew it. You were already saved. So that person that is out there, that is the elect sheep of God, wherever that sheep may be, lost and wandering, unknowing of their salvation, is already a sheep is already a child of God, is already the elect of God, saved from the foundation of the world. But yet they've yet to hear it, to experience it, to feel the, the, uh, uh, to feel the knowledge and the, and the comfort that comes from that. That hasn't happened yet. But they truly are saved. And the preaching of the gospel isn't what saves them before God. That doesn't cause them to be justified. And their believing that doesn't justify them before God. God isn't waiting and saying, okay, there's one of my sheep over there and they've not believed or heard the gospel. I sure hope a missionary can get over there to them before they die because I really would like them to come to me. No, that ain't happening. And they're not waiting. God's not waiting saying, Christ has already died for them, and if they believe, then I'm going to declare that they're just, but right now they're under condemnation, and right now they're under my wrath, but as soon as they believe, then I'm going to love them, and then I'm going to take away that wrath, and I'm going to remove that condemnation. No, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a child of God, you are in Christ Jesus from the foundation of the world. The now there is not at this exact minute it's going to take place, there is therefore now in the, our understanding, when Paul was preaching that verse, whenever Paul was teaching that verse to those uh, Corinthians, whenever, or the Corinthians, uh, he said, there is therefore now, or I'm sorry, Romans, the Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, he wasn't saying, now that I believe, there is now no condemnation. Although whenever we begin to believe the gospel, whenever Christ gives us faith and repentance, and we begin to see Christ, and Christ alone is our salvation, then yes, we are saved from the wrong knowledge of salvation. But as far as our legal aspect of it, that doesn't, that didn't change anything. It didn't cause us to be born again when we began to believe that. Or whenever we heard that. Whenever God brought that message, that right there was given to us and faith had been given to us so that we could enjoy and be comforted by that. Not so that we could be changed or so that we could be uh, become born again by that. So nothing can be put to it and nothing can be taken away. If somebody is preaching that salvation comes from the preaching of the gospel, then something is being put to it. Christ's salvation 
in what he accomplished on the cross isn't enough. It requires a preacher to go preach a gospel message with the right information, by the way. If you don't preach it with the right information, then they can't be saved because everybody knows that someone cannot be saved by the wrong gospel. Right? You see, the work of God now is being diminished because the preacher either is not going, has not reached them yet, the preaching or the salvation of that elect is in the balance because the preachers are, are yet to get to them. Or if the preacher gets to them, is he preaching the right message? Is he preaching the right gospel? Is he going to preach them something and they're going to believe something that is wrong? And someone will say, well, they can't believe something that's wrong. God's given them faith and the faith of Christ only believes the truth that Christ gives them. Okay, so then it doesn't matter what gospel message is being preached because they've already been taught to only believe what truth is. So then, so then the teaching of the Holy Spirit is apart from the preaching of the gospel. It is something that is done inwardly and immediately that the works upon the heart and the mind are the works of the Holy Spirit by itself, not by the preacher. But the preacher, whenever he comes, the Holy Spirit confirms that's true. And we say that's true. I believe that. That's a blessing to my heart. That brings me comfort. If anybody listening or watching here, if I say something or, or preach something and, and it comes from the truth of God's Word, it's the truth of God, the Holy Spirit brings comfort to that. I didn't teach you that. I didn't convey that. I didn't confer any grace to you. The Holy Spirit is the one who said that is the truth. But what did he do first? He had to already make the heart and the mind open and willing and receptive to the truth before the truth could ever do anything. That's why in the Bible, whenever it talks about the sower going out and sowing good seed, who is the sower? It's not the preacher. It's not the pastor. It's not the evangelist. It's not the missionary. The scripture says the one who sows the seed is God. God sows the seed. And some seed fell on thorny ground. Some seed fell on hard ground. Some seed the birds came and ate. But then there was some seed that fell on good ground and it brought forth fruit unto God. Some 30-fold, some 50-fold, some 70-fold. I can't remember the numbers, but the Bible teaches that, that it grew and brought forth fruit. Some more than others. Well, <laughs> the one who sowed them is Christ. Who is the one who made the ground good? The ground didn't do that. The plant didn't do that. The seed didn't do that. How, how, how many times have we gone out here in this yard and we've thrown seed out, grass seed out in this yard hoping to make our grass look better and to grow in the patches and all that kind of stuff and we've thrown seed and nothing's happened. Especially right out there in that one patch right there behind Caitlin's car. That patch right there, it doesn't seem to always want to grow grass. Why? If I throw the seed on there, why did the seed, when I threw it over there, make nice plush looking grass, but when I threw it right there, nothing happened? Well, the ground's better over there. Well, it's the same seed. I threw the same seed over there that I threw over here, but why didn't that seed grow? Because the ground wasn't good. It wasn't made receptive for the seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed. It's the same seed. 
There's nothing wrong with the sower. The guy that sowed it is the same guy. I threw that out there. Was it in the way that I cast it that made it wrong? No. The only difference is, is that seed was made receptive of the word. That seed wasn't. That ground over there was made receptive before the seed was even cast so that when the seed would be cast, it would be receptive of that seed. This over here, not so much. Did the seed wiggle its way down and make the ground good? No. Who made the ground good? Well, in this instance here, it would be, I got out there and we aerated the ground, we dug up the rocks, we made the soil good. The one who is the gardener, the one who is the sower, the one who is the vine dresser, these are all biblical terms that is speaking of God, the one who is tending over the cultivation of these plants, he's the one who makes it good. Who's the one that made the ground good? It's God. It's not the preacher preaching the message, scattering seed. Who's the one who did it? It's God. So whenever we look at these passages of Scripture and we look at the objections that might come as we're fixing to get into, whenever men say, well, it's the preaching of the gospel that is what is, 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 is causes one to be born again or that saves. You have to have a preacher preaching the gospel. It has to be the right gospel because the, the hearer that's been given faith can't hear or believe a false gospel, or you can't ever be saved by a false gospel. That's the that's the problem. These arguments are are ridiculous because salvation doesn't come by the preaching of the gospel anyway. The salvation of the elect of God before God in its legal aspects comes by the work of Jesus Christ objectively, not subjectively. If salvation is subjected to a preacher preaching the right message and the person hearing the right message and then believing that right message, then that is not grace alone. That is a conveying of grace. That is a sacrament. The Reformers call these things sacraments. The Catholics call this sacraments. And then, of course, all the uh, Protestants that came out of the Catholic Church they call it a sacrament, that preaching the gospel is a sacrament. Meaning that, now, I guarantee you there's a lot of sovereign grace guys who believe that the preaching of the gospel is what saves. They wouldn't say that their preaching is a sacrament, but that's what they, in, in, in sense, are saying whenever they say that nobody can be saved without the preaching of the gospel. And no one can be saved without the preaching of the correct gospel, then nobody is going to be saved. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to use a false gospel to save anybody. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't use the gospel to save anybody. Jesus saved by His work on the cross. The Holy Spirit gives life apart from the preaching of the gospel so that when the preaching of the gospel comes, the seed will bring forth fruit. See, they're getting the cart before the horse. They've The, the sovereign grace men of today whether they be Reformed or those who don't claim to be Reformed but believe that justification is in time at belief, and I don't care what they say in all their academic works, they're not saying anything different than the Arminian who says that we can't be saved until we believe. 
They're saying we cannot be justified before God until we believe. God doesn't justify anybody until we believe. God withholds that justification declaration until one believes. Well, that's no different than what I believed as an Arminian. I just call it getting saved. You don't get saved until you believe. You don't get born again until you believe. Well, they believe that you don't get born again until you hear the gospel. There's gospel regeneration, gospel salvation. You're regenerated by the gospel, and then you're converted by the gospel. But brethren, I would say that the preaching of the gospel is for those who have already been saved. The preaching of the gospel is good news to those who have already been born again. The preaching of the gospel is to them who have already been given faith. And so that is why we're looking today at what we're looking at. Now, I mentioned last week whenever we ended that today we're going to look at some objections because um, I talked about this verse a few years back and there was some couple of comments that was made uh, in regards to what was said about this verse whenever I talked about it. And a friend of mine, uh, and I do consider him a friend, although we definitely uh, believe different in doctrine, but I do consider him a friend, uh, still do, I don't know if he still does me, but I can still consider him a friend. He came up with some questions in response to this verse, whenever I pointed out this verse, and Ecclesiastes is a reference to the fact that it doesn't matter what we do, God's purpose is always going to be done. Okay? It's going to be done. And so the first question that he came up with, and it seems to be the question that comes up by a lot of people whenever you preach these things, is then, so why preach the gospel? If God's going to save only who he wants to save, and that salvation doesn't come by anything that anybody does. And it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. It's, everything's going to happen predestined. It's, it's set in stone. Then why preach the gospel? So we're not to preach the gospel. And the verse that he gave, and I want you to turn to it, is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. The verse he gave to prove what I was saying was wrong or at least my interpretation of it was wrong, because the verse ain't wrong. Ecclesiastes says what it says. That's the truth of God, right? Now, our interpretations of these things can be wrong, but God's Word is never wrong. But he pointed to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21 in proof that there is the need to preach the gospel for people to be saved. Now let's read what the Bible says at verse 21, but then we're going to break back and I'm going to hopefully answer that objection. He says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so he said, so see there, you need to preach the gospel because that's the that's where... People are saved by the foolishness of preaching. Men are saved. And so, a couple of things that I would like us to look at here. Number one, let's look at the most obvious though. Okay, 
Let's look at the most obvious, uh, and it's right there in the verse. It's right there at the end of the verse. Look at who are the ones that are saved. Right? What does it say there? The ones who are saved by the foolishness of preaching. Let's just say that right now. Who were the ones who were saved by the foolishness of preaching? If that's what that means. But let's just say that. It's the ones that believe. Right? So again, we have a specific group of people that is intended. Only the ones that believe. So the ones who are saved by preaching are not everybody. Now they say that it's the preaching of the gospel that saves people. And it only saves the elect. And God uses the preaching of that gospel, and that preaching of the gospel is what converts the heart, is what changes the person to cause them to be born again, to go from the natural to the spiritual. So the act of actually being born from above comes from a preacher preaching the right gospel message. That's what's being said by those who are disagreeing with us. That's what's being said by those who believe in sovereign grace but hold to gospel regeneration or gospel conversion. They're saying that the preaching of that gospel by that preacher with that right gospel message is what causes the heart to be born again by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is waiting for that gospel message and He takes that gospel message and He plunges that into the heart creating a new heart. The Bible says that God said, I will take out of them a heart of stone and put into them a heart of flesh that they might know. That they might know. See, the putting in of the heart and the mind that is different than what we have in the natural man, that which is created from above, that new creation, the Bible says it's a new creation. It's not taking and changing what's already there. It's a new creation. That new creation that is receptive to spiritual things is a spiritual thing, not a fleshly thing. Preaching to the fleshly hearts and minds and, and emotions and, and thing, ears of the, of the people is never going to change anything. It's a spiritual work done by the Spirit alone. We cannot do that. We don't operate on that. The Spirit isn't using us as the tool to operate His job. His job is His job. He does it. The Spirit is the one who gives life. And he does that so that we might understand, that we might know. Matter of fact, in uh, 1 Corinthians, we see um, in uh, the second chapter, which is uh, just a continuation of what Paul is talking about in chapter 1, by the way. But in chapter one, uh, 2, verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us. That's the gospel. The things freely given to us is the gospel. So the preaching of the gospel isn't what causes us to be a born again or be alive or to be saved. The preaching of the gospel is for those who have already been saved, who have already been given life and spiritual understanding so that they might know. That has to be done first so that this person who, apart from spiritual life, only has the natural mind, can think with the natural reasoning, with natural wisdom. And we learn here that the, verse 21, 
that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. We cannot know in our natural minds the wisdom of God in saving people by Jesus on the cross. We think it has to be Jesus on the cross makes open the gateway, but we have to do something in response so that Jesus will give us that. That's the foolishness of the world. That's the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world tacks things on to what Christ has done alone and says it has to be Jesus plus this. So whether you're the Arminian that says Jesus has done all he can do, now you have to make a choice. You have to do this. You have to do that. Whatever it might be. Or whether it's the sovereign grace guy that says, yes, Jesus died for his elect only, but you have to preach the gospel, they have to believe the gospel, and then they'll be saved or justified. Either way, whether it's the Arminian or the sovereign grace, semi-quasi-sovereign grace person that is preaching this message of gospel regeneration, gospel conversion, both those people are adding to or taking away from what Christ has done. They're adding to saying this has to be added to Christ and in doing that, they are taking away from the work of what Christ has done. Christ didn't do enough. You have to complete the process. You have to complete the transaction. So, those things are given so that we might know. So the preaching of the gospel isn't what saves. The preaching of the gospel is not what justifies. The preaching of the gospel is not what makes one alive. It's the preaching of the gospel that gives us the knowledge of the salvation that we've already been given. So that's the first obvious thing we see here. That verse in 1 Corinthians one twenty one is not saying by the foolishness of preaching, men are justified, men are uh, quickened, men are saved in that sense. Now, what do we say from, from the foolishness of preaching? Well, from the foolishness of preaching, by the preaching of the gospel, the one who has been given faith, the one who has already been quickened, has been given repentance and faith, that preaching of the gospel saves them from the wrong knowledge of salvation, the wrong knowledge of quickening, the wrong knowledge of justification, it saves them from the religious works that men try to push on everybody, that you have to maintain this level of works for God to be satisfied or or, uh, pleased with you. It saves them from all of that. It saves them the, the discomfort that they hear when they hear religious preachers preaching all these rules and regulations and all these uh, uh, commitments that you got to make to God in order for Him to be pleased with you. That discomfort, that that overwhelming pressure that comes from the law, the preaching of the gospel saves us from its condemning sound. It saves us from that. It saves us in our experience and knowledge. It doesn't save us in the legal sense at all, whatsoever. But let's look a little bit further. It says, to them that believe. So, first off, we see that it's restricted only to those who believe. And now, 
without having to go into a whole lot of being said, we know that the only ones who believe are the ones who are Christ's sheep. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus said, you believe not because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The only ones who believe the gospel are the ones who are Christ's sheep. Those who are the elect from the foundation of the world. All those that the Father gave me shall come, believe on me. Who are the ones who believe? Only the ones and only the ones who were given to Christ by the Father. That's election. The Bible teaches it from cover to cover. So who are the ones here in view? Who are the ones saved by the foolishness of the preaching? The elect of God. But not only the elect, the elect who believe. The gospel is the power of God. That's another one that they come up with. The, the gospel is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. But remember, even in that verse it says, to those who believe. See, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the cross, it is the power of God, the power of God, to them that believe. But here's the thing that I want to look at. Let's look at the context of this verse that is in this objection. The person puts forth that the preaching or the foolishness of preaching is what is saving men. But what is Paul actually talking about here? Is he talking actually about the declaration of the gospel is what is saving them? Let's back up just a little bit. And let's get into the context of this. Look at verse 10. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He's saying, you guys need to be gathered around the same message. Some of you guys are saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of, of, of Paul. Okay? You're saying that there's these divisions among you, saying I'm of this group, I'm of the sovereign grace group who believes in gospel regeneration. I'm of the justification by, uh, or eternal justification group. I'm the justification at the cross group. I'm the justification in time group. There's all these groups of people. And Paul is saying, listen, we need to all be saying the same thing. We all need to be talking about the same thing. We're not of Paul. We're not of Apollos. Okay, if we talk about that in today, I'm not of, you know, this preacher or that preacher. God forbid anybody be saying, I'm of Michael Smith. Michael Smith is nothing. Michael Smith is insignificant. I'm probably the least of any preacher. I'm a horrible preacher. I only can preach what God has given me to preach, and I pray that what I preach is what God has given me. But listen, brethren. It isn't above any, it isn't following after anybody. When you hear people putting all these preachers on pedestals and everything, that's a bunch of hogwash. But Paul goes on, he says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Paul's, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? It says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Now that doesn't mean that there is an importance in baptism. Paul, and I've heard this being preached in this portion of scripture, that Paul uh, is downplaying bad water baptism by immersion, 
that he's downplaying that. Some have even go so far to say that there's no longer any need for water baptism uh, and everything, but that's not what Paul is talking about. That's for another day. He says, Lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. See, the preaching of the gospel is not to, to titillate the knowledge, the intellect. Okay? The preaching of the gospel is not there to motivate the intellect with wisdom. He said, I came not to preach the wisdom of words. Now, did he not come and preach with words? He sure did. Did he not come and preach with wisdom? He sure did. But what is he saying here? I'm not come to preach with the wisdom of the world. Now, that's what's in contrast with the foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of preaching what? Paul came preaching a message that was contrary to the wisdom of the world's message. The wisdom of the world had a message on how one could be saved. Paul came and preached another message of how men were saved. And that's the contrast. Paul is not discussing here the actual declaration of the gospel being what saves, but he's talking about what the content of that gospel What actually saved somebody? In the wisdom of the world, what saves people were the works that they did before God. The religious activities, the law keeping. To the Jew, it was the keeping of the law. To the Greeks, it was their intellectual mind. You put the two together, you have the sovereign grace person who believes in gospel regeneration. You have the one who believes... That we ought to keep the law, we ought to listen to the things of the Spirit, and we are saved by what we know. That true gospel. The gospel of sovereign grace, that's the only thing that can save us. They have a little bit of Judaism. They have a little bit of Greekism. They put it all together and they have this mangled up thing. It's neither one. You're not saved by law, and you're not saved by the gospel. You are saved by the objective work of Jesus Christ. That's what saved you. The gospel is bringing the message of that salvation to you. And Paul is making that distinction here, brethren. It is not of Paul. It is not of Apollos. Paul is preaching gospel of grace alone. It's not Paul that saves you. My preaching of that gospel of perfect sovereign grace is not what saves you. And it's not of Apollos who's over here maybe telling you something differently. And it's not of Peter who mistakenly is over here telling you that you got to keep some of the law of Moses as he did and Paul had to confront him about that. It's of grace alone. It's of Christ alone. See, that's what Paul is getting at here. Paul, is, it's not about the activity of preaching. It's about what is in the content of what you've preached that has saved you. The work of Christ alone has saved you not the preaching of it. Let's, let's go a little further and see if that's what plays out in this. If, if this is true, if this is truth, the truth will stand on its own, right? 
He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now here again he's saying that if that's the case, if I come and I preach with wisdom of words, and it's by the wisdom of words that men are saved, then the cross of Christ, the activity of Christ is of no effect. Then Christ didn't save anybody. Christ made a good story for us to tell you so that you would believe and that believing is what saves you. See, that's what Paul is meaning here. He's saying if by the wisdom of my words you're being saved, then what Christ did on the cross, which we preach, is of no effect. Jesus really didn't save anybody from their sins by that death. Jesus didn't Jesus didn't justify anybody by his obedience and his blood and that resurrection. All of that was just a formality so that we could come and preach to you the gospel and in your believing, now you're saved. Paul said, no, what Jesus did was of effect. What Jesus did is the thing that God is satisfied with. It doesn't matter, and I'd say that it doesn't matter as if there isn't going to be belief. Every child of grace is going to come to belief. But it doesn't matter in the scheme of legality. You are saved by what Christ did. And that's what Paul is conveying here to the Corinthians. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The preaching of Christ on the cross alone is my salvation. You mean I don't have to do anything? Isn't that what I'm trying to convey? You can put nothing to it. You can take nothing away from it. Isn't that what the gospel that I've been preaching the last few weeks here is saying? That salvation is by Christ alone, apart from any works of man, apart from any merits of man, apart from any activity of man, whether it be the preacher or whether it be the recipient. It is completely outside. It's objective. It's not subjective. It isn't waiting on somebody to do something with their will. It isn't waiting on somebody to do something with their actions. It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it is God that showeth mercy. Is that not what I've been preaching? Is that not what I meant a lot of our brethren that we fellowship with? Is that not what they preach? They preach the gospel of a finished work of Jesus Christ alone as the salvation of his people. It isn't about gospel preaching. It isn't about gospel believing. It isn't about water baptism. It isn't about church membership. It isn't about you keeping the law of Moses. It's about what Jesus has done. That alone. That's what Paul says. But to them that are perishing. Who are the ones who are perishing? Anybody? Who are the ones who are perishing? Mm-hmm. Unbelievers. But we at, at some point were unbelievers. So it's not just unbelievers. There's more specificness. But that is true. Ultimately, the unbelievers will perish. Thank God, God causes us to believe. Grants us faith. The ones who are the ones perishing are the reprobate. The ones who are perishing are the wicked, the evil, the non-elect, whatever term you want to put to it. The ones who are not the sheep, goats, the ones who are goats, those are the ones who are perishing. So to the ones who are perishing, this gospel, the one of grace alone, Christ alone, 
the work of the Holy Spirit alone. God alone, the salvation is of the Lord. That gospel is foolishness to them. You mean we don't have to do anything? You mean we, there's no need for preaching? You mean there's no need for a preacher to have the right gospel? You mean that, that somebody can be saved in an Armenian church? I was. I was a saved Armenian. Everybody in this world were saved are, are saved Armenians that are the elect. Because every one of them was saved before they ever was brought to believe the truth and became believers. They were saved as unbelievers. Because salvation doesn't happen in time. It happened before the foundation of the world based upon the work of Christ that was manifested in time. See, God has removed salvation completely and totally out of the hands of man because it was finished from the works, or the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Nobody can put to it, nobody can take away from it because it was done before there was anything. And whenever Jesus came and did what he did on this earth, which is the basis for all of it, which is the grounds for all of it, is the works that all of it is hinged upon, it was all hinged upon his work. And faithful is he that did it. The promises of God are yea and amen in him. God promised salvation to his elect. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. There is no way that Christ was not going to happen. That We spoke of his impeccability a few weeks ago. There is no way that Christ was not going to be that perfect sacrifice. Why? Because the promises of God are yea, yes, and amen. So be it in Christ Jesus. There is no way that anybody in this world is going to die and go to hell that Christ died for. Because he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Not going to escape and get off into hell because God's dangling them over hell with a little thread and unless they make a choice for him, that thread's going to break and they're going to plunge into hell or because the preacher didn't get to him or the missionary didn't get to him or the church wasn't responsive enough in the community to have enough programs to keep them entertained or because some person out here didn't have enough knowledge of it or because we're not intellectual enough to be able to convey the gospel to them or because we don't have our ABCs and 123s that makes it so simple that they can anybody can understand. It has nothing to do with that at all. Nothing can be taken from. Nothing can be put to. If nothing can be taken from it, then, then no man can keep it from happening. If nothing can be put to it, nothing, nobody can add anything to make it happen even more. <clears throat> the foolishness of men trying to dabble in the work of God and to take credit for the work of God. That's what many of these sovereign grace preachers that we see out there today are doing, and it's no different than the Arminian that is out there. Paul goes on to say, look at verse 20. Well, let me back up verse 9. For it is written, I will destroy... Uh, where did I leave off? Verse 18, I'm sorry. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Now here's the distinction that I was making a minute ago. But unto us which are saved, already, those of us who are saved, it's the power of God. It's not the power of God to the unbeliever. 
It's not the power of God to the perishing. It's not the power of God to the reprobate, to the goat, to the seed of Satan. It's the power of God unto them who are saved, who are the saved ones. The elect of God are the saved ones. That's the power of God. The preaching of Christ, the preaching of the cross, the salvation by grace alone is the power of God to those who already are saved. It's the power of God to give them the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His work on their behalf. As Paul will mention again in the verse that I already read, that they might know the things. It's the power of God to give them the understanding of the things that they might know what has been freely given to them. Not exercised by their will, by their choice, upon their merits. It is freely. It says, Which things also we speak, not in the words of man's wisdom teach, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. The Holy Ghost teaches these things, not men. It's not the preacher teaching these things to you so that you can receive salvation by it. That's a conveying of grace. That's a sacrament. We don't convey grace to anybody. God is the only one that can convey grace. Now, so the context that Paul was preaching, verse 21 in, is not the declaration of the gospel is what saves people, but the content of that gospel is what saved them, the work of Christ alone. And he's contrasting that with the things of the religious world, the wisdom of the world, who says that it's by preaching, by law-keeping, by intellect, whatever. He says, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. You can't know God by learning. No man can know God by learning. The Bible says, who can find out God by searching? The answer is no one. It's revealed. It's all revealed. Everything is revealed. In this gospel, everything is a revealed thing. The truth is revealed. We have the truth found in this book right here. And anybody in the world can read this book. But only those who God reveals the truth will understand it to be truth. Everybody else will look at it as foolishness. If you understand the truth and know the truth, it's because it was revealed by the Spirit, not because I preached it and, and, and broke it down in such a way that you began to understand it. People talk about preachers being so good because, you know, Adrian Rogers was such great because he could outline those verses and he had all the words started with the same letters, you know, the alliteration with everything started with the P. Today, all the messages starts with a P. We preach, we proclaim, we perform, you know, whatever the case might be, you know. We make little tracks. Here are the ABCs of the gospel. Accept that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you. Confess your sins. It doesn't matter what you do to break it down. The wisdom of this world will never see the true gospel of what Christ did alone is sufficient. His obedience is sufficient for my obedience. It's not my obedience. God is not requiring my obedience for acceptance. 
Christ's obedience was for me. God is not condemning me. Christ condemned my sin in the flesh. There's no, there's no condemnation to me. So any sin that I commit in the past or whatever I want to commit in the future, there's no condemnation to that. God has not said, okay, now, now that you're a Christian, any sins you commit from here on out, <laughs> you're going to have to make amends for that. Otherwise, what Christ did on the cross don't count. No. Christ's blood counted for that too. So Christ's death and obedience were all given to me. And that's foolishness to the world. He goes on to say, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. See there again, Paul is not saying it's not the declaration of Christ. We're not, it's just not we preach Christ crucified, so therefore that's the message Every time we come out, the message is Christ crucified. Christ died on the cross, buried in a grave, raised the third day. Believe that. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and was buried, was resurrected on the third day. If you believe that, now you're saved. God will save you. That's not what Paul preaches. Paul is saying the way that we were saved was by Christ and Him crucified. Not by law-keeping. Not by signs, believing signs. That's what the Jews look for. Not by gaining wisdom and intellect. That's what the Greeks look for. The way that we're saved is not by works, not by knowledge. It's by the objective work of Jesus Christ crucified. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. It's a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. To the Jews who seek after a sign, it's a stumbling block. Well, wait a minute. That guy is our Messiah and what he did is not what we thought he was going to do. He died. That's a stumbling block to us. We don't believe that God can die. We don't believe that Messiah can die. Messiah came to set up his kingdom and we're here to rule up. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. You mean we're not to keep, we're not, because we're Jews, we're not saved? Because we're not keeping the law, but we have the law of Moses. It's a stumbling block to them. To the Greeks, wait a minute. You mean that guy over there that doesn't believe the true gospel was saved? He's not even believing the true gospel right now. Will he? I believe he will. He may not be right now, but I believe he will if he is a child of grace. The Lord will teach him. The Lord will teach him. But it's a stumbling block. It's a foolishness. But it says, But unto them which are called. To them which are called. That's the elect of God. Whether it be Jew or Greek. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. See, Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Christ is the wisdom of God. See, God in His wisdom said Christ is going to be the salvation of his people. Not the works along with the preacher or the recipient who is the believer. No, Christ alone. Why? Because this is going to be foolishness to everybody. Because everybody by default thinks there's something we have to do. That's the religious nature that's put in the heart of every man. That there is something that we must do to serve this God. 
And by the way, everybody has put in their heart that there is a God, even the one who claims to be atheist. The Bible says that God has put it in their heart. The light of the nature even tells them that somebody out there has done something. Okay? God is there. And God is on the heart of every person. Not the gospel. That's not the gospel. It's not salvation. But the fact that God exists, God has made it clear that He exists. And the people that say He don't exist are liars. At the end of the day, they knew that He exists, that something exists. Whether they put it, that's why the Bible says in Romans that they, that they suppress the truth. And then they built for themselves, it's not, no, there ain't a higher power, but we're going to worship the earth. We're going to worship the climate. We're going to worship this philosophy of there not being a God. <laughs> New Ageism, whatever it is. Sorcery, witchcraft, Satanism, whatever. Put, put your tag on it, whether it's good in people's eyes or bad in people's eyes. Somebody is worshiping something other than themselves. They may even worship themselves. And in that, they say that, hey, I am the higher being. They believe that something is a higher being that deserves to be worshipped, but they suppress the truth of God, and they make God to be something of their imagination, of whatever it might be. So it's not, it's foolish. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That doesn't mean that God is foolish and that God is weak. It's just saying that compared to God, the strongest man can't compare to the weakestness of God. Okay? If there was any weakness in God. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, no flesh is going to glory in God's presence. The preacher's not going to be able... We used to sing a song... Uh, that uh, whenever we get to heaven, uh, there's going to be all these people that's going to be gathered around that's going to come and going to thank us because they were so grateful because we preached the gospel. We didn't even know our lives made such a difference to them that they're there because uh, of uh, uh, of something that we did in this life. And I think, what was the name of that song where you remember that Ray Bolt sang? You know, when I get to heaven, you were there with me. All that well, I can't remember that. Anyway, popular song back in the 90s or so, uh, 80s, whatever year it was. But we get up there, we, we've talked about songs, I used to, we used to sing songs about, uh, um, you know, whenever we get to heaven, all the crowns will be laid down at Jesus' feet because of things that we've done, and all this kind of stuff. Listen, whenever we get in the presence of God, the only one that's going to be receiving glory is Christ. We're not going to be saying, I'm here because of that pastor right there. I'm here because that mother prayed for me. I'm here because that that missionary came to my country. I'm here because... No, the only thing that people are going to be saying is we are here because of the blood of the Lamb. We are here because Christ saved me. 
We are here because His Spirit gave me life. Brought me the, the knowledge. I am aware of this salvation because of Him, not because of anybody else. There isn't going to be one person. He, he said, I'm not going to share my glory with anybody. There's not going to be anybody up there that Jesus said, look at this evangelist. He brought 10,476 souls to the Lord. There ain't going to be none of that. Because salvation is of the Lord, not man. Now, well, I'm way over. I didn't even get to the second objection. We'll stop right there. I think I'll just stop right there. And we'll look at the the next uh, objection, Lord willing, next week. Anybody got any questions? Any comments? All right. Let's bow. Lord, we come to you once again and we thank you for the message of the cross. Not the declaration that saves, but the one who the message is about. He is our Savior and His salvation was effectual. It was for His people and it is applied to His people. And his people alone. And it will be effectively applied. The hands of man will not keep that from being enacted before God. Received by God. God has been satisfied by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, everyone for whom that blood was shed is no longer in condemnation. Matter of fact, we are told by the scriptures that blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not sin. We are told in the scriptures that blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no guile. That spirit that came from above. The life that was hid with Christ and God. The one that comes from above that is a new creation that is placed in this vessel of flesh. We are thankful for that life. That life that is created in pure holiness. And righteousness that cannot sin that keeps the law of God although this flesh perish although this flesh cannot keep the things of the spirit of God or the law of God this flesh that cannot inherit the kingdom of God this flesh that all it can do is sin it can never get any better we have the promise of that which has been given to us the Spirit of God. And Lord, we are thankful that it has not put, been put in the hands of any man to accomplish or even to distribute. But that you, by your own purpose, by your own hand, make things all according to your will as they happen. Nothing can be put to it, nothing can be taken away, for it is God that doeth it. So, Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your righteousness. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.